Enthusiastic amateurs maybe would be a better way to describe us. Yeah. It's the first time we've met Rob. I'm being super polite. <laughs> <laughs> Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shao Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. So Rob, we've established our new thread on the show, which is your continual week-on-week confusion. Yes. And I'm wondering what's confusing you this week? This week, Dave, I am very confused about smartwatches and I'm conflicted about the whole affair as well. Are they a delight? Or are they a disaster? So on one hand, you've got this thing on your wrist. It's keeping your health tracking. It's telling you all about what, what what's going on in your life. You can pretend to be Dick Tracy and have a phone conversation through it. And then on the other hand, you've got this constant distraction on your wrist and you have to charge it, what seems to be all the time. And then you're forgetting it and leaving it home and all sorts of stuff. And I am conflicted. I, I have a smartwatch and then I take it off. And I work for months without it, and then I go and buy the latest one and stick it back on. And I can't work out if they're good or they're bad. And this is what's confusing me. The word conflict in there, I think, is bang on for me. The issue I've got is, is the intrusion level. So I, I find even with my phone that it's intrusive enough. Like I, I can barely put the thing down most of the time. And when I do put it down, I can see the screen lightening up and, you know, I'm getting a, an alert on something. I think the idea of having that on my wrist, and this might mark me out as a bit of a Luddite or whatever, but I think it would just drive up my anxiety levels and they're bad enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have a smartwatch and I turned all notifications off. So it isn't that smart anymore. (laughs) You (laughs) made a smartwatch dumb watch. (laughs) (laughs) Just a watch where you can change the face. (laughs) It just just basically tells you the time, but then it runs out of battery and then it doesn't tell you. Nothing more frustrating. It's 11 o'clock at night. You go to look at your wrist to see what time it is and the battery's gone. It's like, what? It's, yeah, not sure about them. Well, look, I think you raise a big in this one, Rob. Uh, I mean, that could be an episode in its own right. Uh, I'm not sure we can get to the bottom of that. Uh, But you know what, though? As a final thought, I didn't even think about switching the notifications off. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, well, I don't want that on my wrist the whole time. (laughs) But it's every, when you put one on for the first time, you get every notification. Uh, I'm just not interested in it. Well, I do do feel I've learned something from this. So, Shalke, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Smartwatch convert chat. Next episode. I think this is going to be a smooth show, guys. What do you think? (laughs) Joining us on the show this week is Jed Griffiths, Chief Digital Officer of Microsoft UK. And with Jed, we are going to talk about the big themes that chief executives and their teams are talking about at the moment. Jed, welcome. Great to see you this afternoon. Do you want to just say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Dave. It's uh, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, My role as Chief Digital Officer is to model Microsoft's technology vision to businesses, help them realize their full potential. And I work with industry leads, regulators and businesses of sort of varying sizes to help sort of inspire and guide them in developing digital transformation strategies and innovation. And I think maybe just to kick us off, what seems to be clear at the moment is that the role of the CIO is definitely evolving. Well, actually, let's make it CEOs. Ah, I like it. Yeah, it's CEOs, right? So that's part of the talk track that I think would be good to unearth is that when you're having this conversation around data and optimizing around data, people are trapped in the CIO mindset, but it's actually the CEO, your CTO, your product leads, your 
logistics leads, anyone looks after inventory, HR, they need to be on top of that data message too, right? But that's an excellent point, isn't it? Which is the CIO is now the worst role in the enterprise because they've got to deal with the legacy and everybody's poking them because the IT is not quite what they want. But everybody else right. has to be involved in making that better. And the whole power base has shifted around the whole organization. So I think that's a very good point, which is it's, it's the worst CXO job in the world uh, being I, a CIO <laughs> now these days. It used to be one of the best and now it's one of the worst. Sorry, CIOs, if you're listening. Yeah, sorry, CIOs. But I think I think there's a lot of opportunity. So you're yeah. right. I think, Rob, you know, CIOs have been left holding the baby of cleaning up the legacy digital yeah. estate. And then, of course, technology is moving on so fast and they're expected to look after all of the organization's IT misery uh, and then also integrate all this new opportunity and AI and all this excitement around, around digital. And that's actually quite a lot to do. And, you know, the CIO doesn't look after the the vast majority of the rest of the business that's driving that value as well, yeah. right? So there has to be a cross CXO engagement and cooperation around digital strategy. That's where AI is really going to give you a boost because all the technology and the tools to exist, to exist today to do that kind of, you know, data fusion, augmented decision-making on top of data, it's just hard. You just need a lot of, a lot of tools in order to extract that and, and make that useful. And what's happened with, uh, you know, the kind of, AI products that are hitting the market today, what we're doing with the, you know, with Azure and the sort of open AI service that we're, that we're bringing to the market is we're able to democratize that power, that reasoning, that insight gathering to people in the organization that previously, you know, they never had access to it. Yeah. And that's making it easier for them to interrogate the data and draw insights from it. Yeah, it's the ease of access part. So, I mean, it makes it a lot easier for the business to get their hands on the tools that they need to be able to work out so they can do the next best step. Yeah, it's a very good point. In the CIOs that you are talking to at the moment, are you seeing the individuals, so not necessarily the sort of corporate response, but are you seeing the individuals from a leadership point of view sort of clocking this very, very different dynamic that's emerging and proactively responding to it? I think some are. I think that's the real challenge. You know, it would be too easy to say, yeah, sure, here's a bunch of companies or some industries that are doing that well. I think in every industry, there's a range of, kind of maturity or digital maturity, depending on the business, where they are on that kind of digital transformation journey, how mature the business is in the skills, the people, the investment that they've had over the years. You know, it's a real mixed bag. But I think when you sit around a table and you have this discussion, there's a lot of agreement and, and sort of realization that, you know what, this is actually something that's going to be core to our future business strategy. Like we can't ignore, mm. we can't ignore that anymore, right? Really liked your point that cross CXO working needed to be more effective. Have you seen, and you don't have to name check a company unless there's one that particularly springs to the mind that you're aware of, but have you seen a very good version of that dynamic? And I guess, what did it look like? Like, did they have different governance in place? Was it really just because it was a set of individuals that happened to get on? You know, what, what does good look like that you've seen so far? Yeah, that is, that is a great question. I would love to be able to say company X does this, but I think, I think everyone's on a different level of, of that journey. I mean, even at Microsoft, we're still, you know, we're still getting that right. You know, we're not by any means, uh, you know, the platinum standard, we're still evolving and we're still, you know, evolving that culture. But um, yeah, I think where I see it work really well is when you look at the individual strategies or, you know, the, the, the business strategies for different C-suites, there's a strong digital and data element within them. And the CIO and that group is seen as the custodian or the kind of orchestrator of those skill sets you know, moving away from shadow IT, being thinking much more holistically about 
how can you support different, uh, whether it's product teams, engineering teams, or you know, in, uh, uh, creative designers, whatever, whatever your business might be. So it's it's recognizing that there's a good degree of collaboration in the strategy at that level, and that digital scene, you know, that they recognize that digital is a shared responsibility across the organization. They're the ones that's that's for me a, a hallmark of an organization that has good digital maturity in how it's uh, thinking about you know the future. That's a very good point about the fusion where all the areas sort of like there has to be some sort of confluent position reached where everybody understands they all have to connect effectively to make it work. Now technology is business and vice versa and it's all integrated and you can't push it away into the corner anymore. I think it's a very mature place to get to to understand that the way you interact has to be much more frequent and always on as opposed to this sort of uh, where we might meet once a month or whatever, whatever, you know, but it has to be a, a combined team effort and it's a it's a daily conversation, not a monthly one. When you zoom out from just the C-suite as well, Rob, and you connect that to how an adaptable organization should function, there's, there's plenty of connective tissue there as well, right? So it's, a me- it's that always-on mesh that has to form around everything. It's very complicated to do because it's based heavily on relationships, isn't it? It's, it's that you can't formalize it and just you know, make a system that's going to turn the handle and everybody communicates. It's just, it is a very much a cultural thing as well, isn't it? Uh, 100% cultural. In fact, you know, I, I, I talk to people and they expect me to start talking about technology really, really quickly. And now I'm a physicist. I do love a bit of tech. I can't deny that. I love talking and, you know, going down a pathway of talking about future technology and where it'll take us, of course. But actually, when you're looking at digital transformation and, uh, you know, what's really driving the bottom line and creating new value for businesses, it's often the people. It's your processes. The digital transformation is a 90% people activity. Uh, the mm-hmm. technology problem is normally one you can solve. Uh, you yeah. know, with the investment and with the right, you know, with the right uh, sort of architecture in a business. The real challenge is how do you take maybe thousands of people and then get them to really love the technology and develop a passion for innovating, using new technology, changing the way they work, eliminating, you know, legacy processes. That's tough. That's really hard. It is. And IT organizations, I think, need to break out of the trap of thinking within the boundaries of the traditional yeah. IT organization. We were in a, a workshop recently and we were workshopping through with a, a pretty senior team of an organization. And they were, you know, talking very much framed by IT. And and at one point we had to say, like, you know, we, we were talking about governance and planning and the, and actually the changes to governance you need to make to really unlock pace in an organization, unlock innovation in an organization. And it means deconstructing the wall around IT very often and making it more of a digital business problem than it is an IT problem. Is that a tension that you recognize from some of the conversations you're having, Jed? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you framed it really, really well. It is. It's a. It, it it's not just an IT problem, right? It 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 is more about how do you think, uh, how do you think digitally about the way you do your work? And um, you know, people have heard this phrase: the the digitization versus digitalization, right? Yeah. It's not just yeah. about turning the paper into ones and zeros. It's about do you even need that process anymore? Because now you've got two systems that can talk to each other, and you just bypass the whole you know, legacy way of operating. And, and and that, you know, you can sit down with some people who are really into their tech and you can describe that and say, yeah, sure, I can build that for you. That's that's easy. But when you take several hundred people in a business that has established way of working around that, that's tough, right? That Then you've got to really get buy-in. You've really got to get the senior leadership recognizing what that will do for the business model and the things that need to change. And th- those are the things that take time. I think as well, 
many organisations try and do it, and at the top of the shop they go, let's be digital, and then they turn around and walk off and don't really pass much instruction to the people who actually have to go and discharge that responsibility and to make something work. I'd be interested in your view on the importance of communication and sort of education around that cultural shift, because there is that, we're digital, yay, and then everybody just goes. And, yeah, and it can massively frustrate people on the ground who have a day job to do. They want to do something different, and they love the idea, but it's like, well, where do we go? first yeah that's a really good point because you can't do it everywhere all at once that can lead to confusion and you actually you know you you, you can create uh, almost more harm than good if you try to do too much in your transformation in one go so first of all you really need that leader commitment though so you, you do need the leader to say this is how we're going to be in the future right digital is going to be a core part of how we think uh you know how we generate new revenue uh, how we innovate how we be a sustainable business you know that that's going to be really really important so it's got to be top down but likewise, leaders can't spoon feed their, their direct reports what to do. Okay, you, yeah. you, you've got to take a degree of ownership as an operational leader in a business yeah. to say, okay, well, what technology do I need? Like, how do I engage with my teams? You know, how do I how do I build that out? Yeah, I would definitely say in that there's a huge amount of personal responsibility and personal education that leaders require today to be able to be as, as sort of proactive as you've just described. Though there, I think, and what I've likened this to in the past and I'd value your thoughts on it, is like those leaders, I can pretty much guarantee you'll be on top of their budgets and their financial planning. It would be borderline irresponsible for business leaders to not understand the financial framework within which they're working and how that functions and their role in it and their contribution. And you know, therefore finance and business leadership, no matter what your discipline, have, have been mingled together now for such a long time, you sort of take for granted that that's part of the skill set. I sort of see digital as being part of that same impetus. Like if you are a senior leader now in an organization, you really have to understand digital much more deeply than we've got an IT department in the basement and they cost us too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mean the IT crowd, Dave, uh, the, uh, the people who don't see the sun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's a great observation. It goes back to you know, what, what I've seen in over the last sort of 18 months or so and having these kind of conversations, it goes back to that, that the, the three themes that I'm trying to draw out around CEOs, you know, what's on the table, right? What does that look like, right? What are the things that they're sort of talking about? How do you recognize that, uh, that in the business? So, I mean, maybe it's a good idea to, to sort of segue and, and, and break some of those down, right? So there's three things that I see quite commonly in every discussion that CEOs, that they're really thinking about when it comes to digital, right? And the first of these is how do I optimize my business for growth? Now, you know, we've had a pretty tumultuous time in the market since the pandemic, you know, supply chain shortages, challenge with skills, you know, this, it's been really difficult and margin squeeze in many industries, inflation's gone up, you know, geopolitical issues, pretty much everything, every headwind you could think of. And so businesses have been very tempted in order to survive to just make the cuts to the biggest bottom line item. How do I, how do I take out the thing that's really, really expensive? Mm. And actually, you know, the, the, when we talk about uh, driving efficiencies, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of the word efficiencies. I recognize it's necessary, but the, there's a mentality with efficiencies that is cuts. And yeah. sometimes you can end up cutting something that you know you're going to need for growth, right? Yes. You mean as opposed to sort of reinvestment? Yeah, right. And, and it's about, well, it's about optimization, really. Like where, where do I really need to remain invested to optimize? You know, how do I get the data or the understanding, the insights from where I'm succeeding as a business and where my growth is coming from hmm. that's a subtly different question from driving efficiencies looking at your business right now and so 
this this uh, this insight ultimately that's coming from the data of your business because you can't optimize what you don't understand if you don't measure certain things in your business and actually that's been quite hard so if you don't have a particularly high level of digital maturity it's really hard to extract that insight from within your business yeah it it requires a huge investment to get there right well the thing that always strikes me in conversations about telemetry certainly Schalke's point which is uh, to get to a point where you are making data-driven decisions as an organization will have been a cultural and a technical journey and a capability journey, all of which will have required investment, which could happen over a number of years. And a couple of observations on that, like when you talk about building in telemetry, being data-driven, mm-hmm. there isn't a person on the planet who's running a business that wouldn't want that. Right. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be that you know, not that many are getting there to a point of being like really very good in, at that. So w- what do you think is blocking organizations from going on that journey, Jed? And how do you unlock it? Yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, there was a statistic I saw a little while ago. I think it was around 70% of organizations reckon that they want to be much more data-driven, but they don't know how, or they find it really, really difficult. And as you say, you know, there's a combination of investment. Maybe it's the legacy IT, they just don't yeah. have the interfaces to bring that data together. It's just too difficult. Maybe there's a skills element to that. They don't have the investment to build the teams in order to extract the data. So it, 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 depending on where you are, it could be a number of reasons. Uh, another reason could be cultural. The data is broken up. It's siloed. It's just too fractured. They don't have an overarching data strategy on how to share or the value. You know, what's the point in sharing this data? I don't see the value in, in, in having that. So it's a whole myriad of different uh, reasons that you might encounter. But what we're finding, you know, what's happening in the, I think in the world where we're seeing, you know, AI technology getting to the point where it is, it's actually the cost of that insight gathering, that cost, let's call it the cost of prediction is coming down. So it's becoming easier and easier to get hold of that data, to integrate. And now with some of the more sophisticated AI tools that are coming out, easier for non-data science teams or, or a different skill set to make the most of those insights, right? To drive that optimization. I think that's the big change that's sort of happening. And it's one of the big things about cloud. I don't think enough people talk about it, but it is that it's much easier to connect data sets in cloud and do funky things. It's all connected behind the scenes. So much, much lower bar of entry to get your visibility over what's going on as opposed to it's locked in a traditional data center on physical tin and hard to get to and physical networking, et cetera. It's just this massive reduction in effort to get it all wired in. And I think people don't always see the benefit of cloud in that way but it's a massive win for for when you've got silo data to break it down fast the home example i'd give of that is you know when you looked at like home automation as of about 10 years ago you know you had to like <laughs> you just shouted a lot and swore a lot that's what home automation was 10 years dig, ago dig your mainly walls swear out. words yeah. put, cab- put cables in everywhere <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to have your own little you know your, your own little sort of data mesh you have to have like a big switch cabinet in your room and one of my one of my mates has got like one of these big installations and it's brilliant but now looks cool anyway it, it, i mean it looks it looks amazing but the reality of it is in this day and age unless you're trying to do it at a very high standard say you just don't need that anymore yeah like, it's all connected behind the scenes all, all, yeah. all via the cloud like little plug-in things and you can pretty much automate most most of your house are we getting to that point of accessibility, do we think, at the moment in the business environment? I think we're getting closer. We're definitely not there yet. Again, you know, casting out the next few years, we're going to see more and more data generated at the edge, right? So within businesses, let's take manufacturing as a great example. 
you know, smart machines, manufacturing sensors, you know, much more of this kind of edge data is going to be created. Uh, and and that, that data is the, that's the, the sensors in your business, right? That's the data telling you your, your throughputs, uh, you know, uh, uh, whether it's sort of how much inventory you're using, what's your product production rates, you know, staff availability and skilling, all these kind of things. There's a, there's a whole sensor suite that, that can be utilized now to bring that insight into a, a, a central place where you can use it to basically build that agility in your business, be much more agile. How do I make decisions? Do I know what's going on in the next hour or two hours mm. with certain, certain processes? So that's coming, right? That's, that's evolving. Dave, you'll call me out on this about convergence, right? I keep b- banging on about this, but are you going to use the word confluent again, Rob? I no, know you no, already I'm dropped not. it in once. I'm not. But no? what I am going to say is this, IT used to be able to get the view of IT, and now with all that at the edge and sensor connection, OTIT convergence, I can now get a view of the whole technology stack, the milling machine, the production line, the you know any sensor anywhere, and then I can bring it all together and model it, although the, the engineering disciplines and the IT disciplines don't always see eye to eye, but you do get, um, with all this connectivity, you're able to access as well as uh, connect a lot more things together quickly. Well, so I think that maybe bridges us nicely into the second big trend that we think chief executives either are talking about or should be talking about, which is this notion of intelligent enterprise. And this is a little bit, I think, one of those phrases at the moment that's getting thrown around a bit like industry cloud that you sort of have a, a bit of a sense about what it means, but you know, not really actually what it means. So like, Jed, to you, what does intelligent enterprise mean and, and what are the steps to get after that? Yeah, that's good. So I, I think that's right. So the intelligent enterprise to me is one where you, you're starting to build in that sensor data into your decision-making process in your business. You're able to share across those silos, bring, uh, you know, whether it's frontline workers or supply chain information, manufacturing information, uh, data about uh, your cash flows, or if you're a retail business, what are the sales like in certain points to sell, and bring that very, very easily, very, very quickly into your decision making, right? So it's augmenting your business decision making. Um, it's, it's, it's making your business smart in how you make decisions, okay? And so moving towards much more kind of real time telemetry on, on how you do that. But of course, it comes with all kinds of challenges as well around, you know, how do you look after that? How do you have a data strategy that allows you to do that? You know, what's your kind of governance and security and controls around bringing all that edge data together? These are big challenges there. And that's where I think, um, Rob, you mentioned cloud. You know, I think that's one of the things cloud really gets you is it just becomes much easier to work in a cloud environment, to stay with, you know, modern applications, yeah. the connectivity that cloud brings you to different services. It's just much easier than it is doing that in a more sort of traditional on-premise sort of, you know, rolling out technology sort of way. How do you adapt, I think, is the question I've got. So, you know, if we, if we follow the through line through, which is, hey, wouldn't it be great to be data-driven? And then, hey, moving on from being data-driven, you, you can become this intelligent industry and you've got the technology building, potentially building up around you. How do you leverage it? I think that's the, the thing I've, that I'm trying to get to the bottom of. Like, what does it look like? Is that Power BI dashboards? Is it something a little bit more accessible these days. Paint a bit of a picture for us, Jed, of an organization that's been on this journey and come from a traditional background, so they haven't had this built into their systems over time, and they're at a certain point in their evolution. In that evolution point, they're working better as a modern CXO group, and they've built telemetry into their applications. What are they doing there, then, that's going to run their business more effectively, and where's the new value coming from? 
That's a great question. I wish I had an example to bring to you. No, like leave, leave, leave that in. Because I, I, I think what's important, though, is there aren't that many of them, are there? That's, that's and, right. And the one that I always go to, and I've mentioned it on the show a number of times, and I've, I've certainly spoke about it live countless times, is Netflix. That, that seems to be an organization to me that went from you know, being a logistics distribution company with probably relatively traditional, albeit maybe early cloud software, built a streaming platform and pivoted their business away from logistics and streaming. And then obviously, you know, were one of the preeminent organizations in terms of building cloud platforms, building in telemetry, building in auto scaling, all of those sorts of things. And then on the back of that, went then on to become a content creation company. And on that journey, disrupted not one, but two very specific industries around the business that they're in. That to me feels like almost the only example I can think of as an organization that's that's transformed that deeply. So maybe, right? I think in Netflix's case, it's much more of uh, the, the disruptive model that they made, right? And being that, that kind of born in cloud business and the way they scaled. I, I think for me, that's less about the intelligent enterprise. That's more about finding the right business model fundamentally built in cloud. The for me, something like intelligent enterprise is more like uh, you know work that we've done with say Coca Cola, mm. um, where you take a manufacturing process and y- you know you have it well established. You have rules of operating and, and, and process documentation, and you have big vats full of you know liquids that you're mixing and ingredients that you're putting in, and building that you know that IoT, that IT OT connectivity, integrating that you know maybe you're optimizing for temperature, for flow, pressure, and you're building this kind of um, this dashboard of intelligence that you can see at an operational level and optimize your business. And if you're if you're a massive manufacturer or you're a you know consumer goods manufacturer, you're consuming huge amounts of energy. You know the small percentage gains in optimizing that kind of a workflow that that can be millions of dollars. And so that's where you know some of the work that we've done there has shown huge value. Mm-hmm. Now, as you said, you know much earlier, it's it's not an easy thing to just magic that up. That comes with a high degree again of, of uh, you know, having a high degree of digital maturity in your strategy about recognizing that, you know, that there is a, there's a direction of travel there that you want to be much more intelligence led and intelligence driven, data driven in how you, you make those decisions. First of all, that was an excellent example, I thought. And what you mentioned in there, I think bridges us neatly into perhaps the final point that we were going to touch on today, which is energy consumption and increase in sustainability. Now, sustainability is a buzzword, albeit an extremely important one, uh, given you know where the planet is right now with evidence everywhere that action needs to be taken. Now, I'm sure that sustainability is indeed a conversation that most of the sea level groups in the world are having at the moment. But frame that up for us through your lens, Jed. What do you think the predominant aspect of sustainability is that you want to just touch on today? Yeah, I think the... the- the thing that I see most around sustainability is how to understand your business process in the frame of you know carbon uh, usage or car- your your kind of water usage or energy usage, uh, your carbon footprint. How do you how do you optimize your business to minimize those things? Can you do even understand them? I think many businesses don't truly collect the data or have the data or the means to collect the data on yeah. how they you know the impact that they're having in the environment. Now that's gotten so much better in the last you know five ten years it really has and so many businesses are, are making great strides there but there's still a lot more to be done in uh you know how do we how do we understand our our impact in the world and if we can understand it then we can optimize and reduce it 
And so that's one thing that um, you know we've been doing at Microsoft was what we're trying to do with the cloud for sustainability is provide a really easy way for businesses to start that journey to sort of collect the information, record it, have a standardized way to to report you know what the impact that they're having through their operations, and then from that they can start to build sustainability in things like their supply chain. They can look at you know cloud migrations to optimize energy usage and those kind of things. So it's um it's definitely an a, a, an evolving space. You know, businesses are starting to think more and more about their the impact their operations have, and digital as well, right? Digital, you know, digital operations are not immune from having a sustainable footprint, and they need to dive into it because they need to report on it from next year on. Yeah, yeah. it's legal requirement, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think that's going to catch a lot of companies have to go and it's not just your footprint it's your supply chain as well it's it's yeah. reporting on the, the whole and it's like if you actually sit down and think about how am i going to get hold of the data so i can report effectively on this requirement and it makes it, it draws a bead of sweat on my forehead when i think about the complexity of just the data collection alone yeah they struggle a lot it's very silent on that level wow hmm. What are you seeing as best practice at the moment, Jed, in terms of organizations getting after that problem? And I, I think Microsoft are responding to it in a productized way, right? If I understand that correctly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So our cloud for sustainability is that offering that helps businesses, I guess, start and begin this journey, um, helping them uh, make estimations over what their usage is. So you can, you know, if you're in a cloud environment and you have workloads running there, you can make an estimation of what that's doing in terms of your energy usage, water usage, and your carbon footprint. And then there are a number of other ways then if you, you can input your own carbon data, depending on uh, your you know the processes that you use, depending on your business. And this, this tool is just a way to standardize, collect that information, make some assessments, right? It's a way of bringing it together to make things like reporting much, much easier and also help you target where some of the more intense usage areas are where you might you might want to reduce. What advice would you give then to those CXO groups that are maybe just starting to work out there's different dynamics going here? There are at least those three mega trends that we've just talked about that, that need very sort of next level responses to that perhaps they'd buried those things in IT previously or they were kicking the can down the road on. What's good practice to start to get after some of this stuff? Yeah, I think this all comes back to making sure you've got digital at the heart of your business strategy. Okay, so you need to understand what data you're going to collect. Where's the ROI? What's the return on investment associated with collecting that data? Make sure you know why you're collecting it. Right? What is it going to do for you? How is it going to change your business? So whether it's around optimizing your product, your supply chain, whether it's about connectivity, bringing certain parts of data from your other parts of your business together in order to make better decisions, and then finally. Is that data going to help you understand your impact on the environment to help you be a more sustainable business and help you target where you need to reduce and optimize? Those elements need to be in that long term, that data strategy, you know, and and they won't all be owned by the CIO. Many of those operations that have that data then, you know, throughout the business. And that's where I think you really win is that you have those different operational leaders as those C-suite understanding why that data is important and why they need to collaborate to bring that together.
Michelle, have you been looking at anything this week? So each week I do some research on related ideas and transformation in tech. And this week I thought we should take a look at five tech trends CIOs are focused on in this year. So CIOs have a very busy job. They must navigate the future, manage the day-to-day business and transform into the digital economy. And to be successful, they need to provide data insights, protect their organization and have the ability to create change. So according to a survey conducted under 250 CIOs, the top five topics that are top of mind are cybersecurity, driving change in an organization, creating the culture you want and need, digital transformation, and AI and predictive analytics. A question. These trends are for this current year, 2023, and we're now already in September. But do you think that these trends are still valid? Yes, I do, in short. Absolutely. I think those trends are going to be valid for a while. I, I think one that really that you mentioned that really stood out is still about education and around the skills. Mm. The technology is moving so fast. I genuinely think it's really hard for organizations to keep up. And so that education piece, you know, the, the importance of data, not just looking after ones and zeros and making sure that you've got good, you know, uh, good data states and governance. It's not just that, right? It's around the mentality, the growth mindset and the learning for how technology is constantly evolving, how, how teams and people in the business need to be evolving. So that's a big one, definitely. Do you get a sense that the business community at large understands that the scale of sort of education and personal adaption that is going to be required? Uh, and speak from personal experience, really, when I was doing the cloud transformation at BP, I was probably two years into it before I was really kind of having you know light bulb moments on actually this is really different this does, this doesn't you know to be successful in even just a fairly normal cloud transformation albeit a very large one it felt like i had to adapt leadership style ways of working methodologies that we were using obviously there's the technology and then there's the whole question about how you then leverage and drive value out of the new platform you're creating and it was like it was like going back to university, to be honest, for three years. It was that scale of personal change. Do you think there's a recognition of the scale of personal change that's required, Jed? I, I think for some people, it re- it does vary. It, it does depend on that level of digital maturity. But I would agree, it, it could be huge for some people. You know, if you're if you're perhaps in a in a business that hasn't had to move very fast, and then suddenly find yourself in a position where you know this technology is becoming very very disruptive, um, there's huge opportunity with that to change. But you've got to take large numbers of people with you and, and change your day-to-day practices that that is really really tough and and it can feel like there's a massive gap to traverse mm. to to actually do that and that's I, I think that's what we're going to see with some of the AI technology is that there's huge opportunity there you know huge opportunity to, to democratize the power of this um, of AI but also a responsibility to take people with you as a leader to you know to to infuse and energize people to sort of you know adopt technology and be passionate about new technology and from a point of view of don't be scared of it like the nervousness that people have about ai versus just the sort of standard it adoption curve you mean yeah and um, there's a good data point we got from our work trends index and you know 2023 we had the um uh, microsoft commissions its work trends index and we were asking questions around ai in people's jobs and uh, it's approximately two thirds of people really see the kind of opportunity for AI, but a similar percentage are also quite quite nervous about what it means for the change in their role. 
And so I think that that's it. That's an interesting kind of dichotomy in that people need to understand it. So they, they want to use AI to get rid of the, the drudgery, the, the grind of work, you know, the repetition, but also they're quite excited about how their jobs are going to evolve and change with this new technology. I think for me, though, the genie's out of the bottle, so it's all a bit too late. So we best get up, to, best get to grips with it because it's here and it's arriving. So those who embrace it early are going to, are going to win, aren't they, essentially, because it's not going away. No, no, that's right. And actually, that's, um, that's where the disruption will come from. People who get out in front mm. and get, get uh, offerings into the market very, very quickly based on this new technology, um, they'll be the ones that will start to develop as the market leaders. So there is a degree of pace in some industries, but likewise, and, and rightly so, there should be caution and people making sure that they're building responsible yeah. and ethical AI applications. That's absolutely, that's paramount to how we operate at Microsoft. It's core to how we, how we work. So just on the fifth one there, Jed, from your perspective, you've got AI and predictive analytics. And before we were talking about getting hold of the data and sort of how can you behave around that? And you may not have all the data. So is there a view you've got around how that's going to affect things and how people can make, might be able to respond differently? Yeah, definitely. So analytics, are obviously, an AI is only as good as the data that you can feed it. And I like to think about this, um, that sort of a bit of reflection on my own experience. Many years ago, I was actually trained emergency responder and uh, I learned about this, uh, what they call the kind of knowledge and action curve. And what that means is, you know, if you have an emergency incident right at the very beginning of that incident, you don't know anything about it. You know, it could be a, a, an accident, an explosion, a fire, whatever it might be. You know something's gone wrong and you have absolutely no information. But your freedom of action, the courses of action you could take are probably quite large. You could take any number of decisions at that point. Now, as that incident progresses and you know the location, you know maybe how many casualties you have or whatever it might be, your information increases, but your freedom of action starts to decrease. And so, you know, when you go through this course and, and they, they talk to you about it, there's this sweet spot where you've got enough data and enough freedom of action to make the right decision. And so I lean on that analogy and I look at what's going on in business and I think about data collection and breaking down silos and intelligent enterprise. That's what you're looking for. That's where the agility comes from. How do I build enough, how do I invest enough in my business to get the right data the right time to make the impactful business decision so that I can stay current and relevant in the market. A fantastic note to end on. Thank you, Jed, for your insights this afternoon. And what a brilliant conversation. A lot to take from that. Thanks, Dave. Now, we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. And that could be, I've got a great restaurant booked at the weekend, or it could be something you're excited about doing in your professional life. So Jed, what are you excited about doing next? Well, I'm, I have to admit, I'm, uh, it's been a pretty, pretty busy time over the last few weeks. And so I haven't spent as much time on Starfield as I would have liked. <gasps> yes. <laughs> oh, it's a brilliant game, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. fantastic game. I, I really love it. So I've got a, a little bit of time carved out over the weekend uh, where I'm going to try and sort of hop on the Xbox and have a little go on that. So to us non-gamers, I live in a house where now 50% of my two boys are both very heavily into gaming. But I'm, I, I look at it and go, ooh, those graphics look nice, but that's about as much as my interaction gets. <laughs> ooh, isn't that pretty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very briefly, pen picture of Starfield. Yeah, sure. Starfield's like a, a space exploration, you know, narrative story-driven game where you, you create this character. It can be any kind of character you, you can sort of imagine, really. It's really creative and you just go off into the universe and it's a main storyline, a thread around it, but it's very open, open-ended so that you can, you know, be some kind of space trader or a pirate, whatever it might be. Uh, and it's just, uh, I love games like that because they allow you to just 
sort of chill out and, and relax, right? They're very zen. Mm, uh, you mm. can play it the way you want to play it. And uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoy it. It allows me to de-stress. I, I, uh, you know, I'm a scientist by background. And so I often wonder, it'd be great to perhaps have been born a little bit in the future where maybe, you know, who knows, spending a little bit more time in the stars in space. So I guess I'll never see that. So this is the closest <laughs> I'll ever get to, to that dream of being amongst the stars. Well, what a, what a notion to end on. Jed, thanks again for your time this afternoon. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So a huge thanks to our guest this week, Jed. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our absent producer and our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louie. And of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernhan, the Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas or comments for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. Bye.